Breathing in, breathing in, I'm aware that uh, I'm alive. Breathing out, I smile to life inside of me and around me. Dear friends, it is possible to cultivate peace as uh, individuals, but it is also possible to cultivate peace as a family, a community, a nation, or the community of uh, nations. If we can invite uh, parents, teachers, business leaders, political leaders to join us, of course, uh, there will be peace for us and for our children. In the teaching of the Buddha, uh, peace will not be possible without understanding and love. And that is why cultivating love and understanding is the foundation of peace. There are tensions and uh, pain within our body. There is no peace in our body. There is not enough peace in our body. There are ways in order for us to help uh, decrease the tension and the pain within our body. And that can be done by many ways, like deep relaxation, mindful breathing, mindful walking, and so on. And the Buddha provides us with uh, many kinds of uh, practices that can help us uh, bring peace to our body. There are tensions and uh, pain within our heart. We have fear, we have uh, um, anger, we have despair, we have confusion within us. And there are ways in order to recognize, embrace, release the tensions within these uh, blocks of pain and sorrow and fear and suffering and finally transform them. This may begin with, uh, may begin with uh, an in-breath. When it breathes, in mindfully, we bring our mind back to our body. And when mind and body are together, we have a chance in order to experience peace within our in-breath and our breath. It is possible to bring peace to our in-breath and our breath. Because in our daily life, uh, our in-breath and out-breath might not be very peaceful. It takes one or two minutes in order to bring peace to our uh, breathing. And that peace of uh, our breath will, be, will bring peace to our body and to our uh, mind. Uh, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, 
The breathing is the, the bridge connecting mind and body. And if we are capable of bringing peace to our breath, it will be possible, it will be possible for us to bring peace to our body and to our mind. In the teaching of the Buddha, it is said that uh, understanding is the foundation of love. If you do not understand someone, it will be impossible for you to love that person and to make him or her happy. And understanding oneself is the foundation of uh, self-love. If you don't understand yourself, if you don't understand enough your body and your mind, it will be hard for you to love yourself. And self-love is the foundation for the love of others. And peace always begins with yourself. Love always begins with ourselves. In our practice center, uh, we take uh, the practice of mindful breathing and mindful walking as the foundation of all other practices. Each uh, in-breath and out-breath should bring us peace, and each step should bring us peace and joy. We have the habit of uh, running, running into the future because we believe that it is uh, difficult, it is impossible to be happy right here and right now. We need uh, a few more conditions to be happy. Therefore, we have to look for happiness in the future. And that is a big obstacle. The practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, can bring you back to the here and the now for you to realize that uh, there are so many conditions of happiness that are already available and you can be happy right here and right now. And that is the teaching of the Buddha, Drista Dharma Sukha Vihara. It means uh, living happily in the present moment, in the here and the now. There is uh, a kind of wisdom called wisdom, the wisdom of uh, non-discrimination. Nirvikanpasnana in Sanskrit. And if uh, we can realize, we can allow that wisdom to manifest, this will be possible. The non-discrimination, the wisdom of non-discrimination in uh, the teaching of the Buddha on love, he spoke about four elements of love. Maitri, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeksha. Maitri is uh, the capacity of uh, offering happiness. When you love someone, you want to make him or her happy. But the willingness to make someone happy is not yet Maitri. It is the capacity of making someone happy that is called Maitri. If you don't understand that someone, it is impossible for you to make him or her happy. 
That is why understanding someone is really important. And as we already know, understanding self can bring love to ourselves. And when you are filled with love, you are happy. And when you are happy and peaceful, you are in a situation to help other people to be happy also. Love is not uh, just uh, consumption. It is an offering. Love is, is a practice, an offering. We should ask ourselves uh, the question as whether we are capable of uh, offering love to the other person or persons. And that is my tree, to bring happiness to the person you love. Every day, every moment of our daily life. And if uh, we still make each other suffer, it means that uh, Maitri is not very strong in our relationship. Maitri is the capacity of bringing happiness to the other person. In the practice of mindfulness, we know that uh, the best kind of gift, the best kind of present that you can make to the person you love is your presence. In order to love, you have to be there. If you are really there, you can offer your presence to the person you love. How can you love without being there? It's a very simple question. So breathing in and bring your mind back to your body is one of the ways in order to be really there. And when you are really there, fresh, smiling, you can offer that presence to the person you love. And you say, darling, I'm here for you. And you know that uh, the quality of your presence is good. I know a young man of 12, uh, son of a very rich businessman. That day his father asked him what kind of present he would like for his um, birthday. And the young man did not know how to answer. His father was so rich that he could afford to buy anything for his son. But, but the son needs something that cannot be bought in the market. The presence of his father, because his father is so busy, he did not have time even for himself, for his family, for his child. I want you, he said. And if the father realized that, he will practice mindful breathing in order to come back to himself, in order to be available to his son. And he can practice uh, offering himself his present to the son. Darling, I'm really here for you. When you love someone, the best thing you can offer him or her is your presence. 
and that is only my dream. To love is to offer happiness. The second uh, element of true love in Buddhism is uh, karuna. Karuna means uh, compassion. Karuna is the capacity of uh, removing the pain and the sorrow from the other person. And if you don't understand, if you do not understand the roots of that kind of uh, pain or suffering, you cannot help transform it or remove it from the other person. If you have practice, if you have look at your own suffering, if you have hold your suffering tenderly and look into its nature, you understand, you will see the roots of your own suffering. And in the light of the Buddhist teaching and practice, understanding suffering is very crucial to the transformation of suffering. If you do not understand your suffering, if you do not know the roots of your suffering, it will be impossible for you to transform your suffering. Suffering is the first noble truth in Buddhism, and the roots of suffering is the second truth. It is impossible for you to see the second truth in order to, to have the capacity of transforming your own suffering. And when you have had some experience on self-transformation, on the, suf- uh, on the su- uh, transformation of your suffering, and then it will be very easy for you to help the other person transform his or her suffering. And therefore, understanding of suffering, your own suffering, our own suffering, and the suffering of the other person or people is very crucial to help uh, transforming, to help transform the suffering. The third element of true love in the teaching of the Buddha is mudita. Mudita means joy. True love should bring joy to you and to the other person. If you suffer and if you make the other person cry every day, well, the element of mudita is not there in your love. So cultivating mudita is very important. And the last element of true love in Buddhism is upeksha. Upeksha means equanimity. It means non-discrimination. When you love someone, the frontier between you and that person no longer exists. His suffering is your own suffering. Her happiness is your own happiness. No longer any discrimination. That is inclusiveness. That is a non-discrimination. And there is a kind of wisdom called the wisdom of non-discrimination. And I would like to speak about it a little bit because it's very crucial for our peace and the peace in the world. My right hand has the capacity of uh, doing calligraphy. When I 
use uh, the bell. I also uh, use my hair, my right hand. When I write a letter, I also use my right hand. And I wrote uh, most of my poems with my right hand. One day I did not have uh, a pen, so I had to use a typewriter. And that was the only time when I wrote a poem with two hands. But my hand, my right hand never, never have a complex of uh, superiority. It never say, you left hand, you are good for nothing. Everything I do it by myself. You don't do anything. My right hand does not have that kind of thinking, of uh, discrimination. And my left hand does not suffer, is not jealous, is never jealous of my right hand. And I know that in my two hands, the wisdom of non-discrimination is there. One day I was uh, trying to uh, drive a nail into the wood in order to hang a, a picture. And I was not very skillful at that, that day. Instead of uh, pounding on, on the nail, I pounded on my finger. It hurts. Right away, my right hand put the hammer down and took hold of uh, the wounded uh, finger and took care of it. My right hand did not think like this. You, you are being taken care of by me. I'm taking good care of you, and you should remember that. The, the left hand did not say, You right hand, you have done me injustice. Give me the hammer. <laughs> I want justice. So my, this is not the thinking of my left hand. And my right hand and my left hand, they behave with wisdom, the wisdom of non-discrimination. They are two, but they are not two. When the father looks at his son, he may think that his son is another person. And he gets angry at his son from time to time. And when he is very angry, he may say, You are not my son. My son is not like that. Go away. And the son sometimes gets angry at his father to the point that he said that, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Anger. Discrimination. Because both father and son have not touched the wisdom of non-discrimination within themselves. When you, when you plant a seed of corn in a soil, ten days later you see a young plant of corn. You don't see the grain of corn anymore. And you may think that the grain of corn is already dead. 
But the grain of corn has not died. The grain of corn has become a young plant of corn. The plant of corn is the continuation of the grain of corn. And the son is simply the continuation of the father. He is not another person. Not exactly another person. He is uh, the continuation of uh, the father and the mother. If the son gets angry at his father, he somehow gets angry at himself. And meditation is an act of looking deeply. And when you look deeply, you see things that people who do not practice meditation cannot see. And if the father looks deeply into the son, he sees that his son is not exactly another person. His son is his continuation. And if he preserves that kind of insight, he will never get angry at his son. He will behave in such a way that he will help his son to change peacefully and to go in the good direction. And he needs that that wisdom of non-discrimination. If you look back into the photo album of uh, your family, you might see that uh, you might still see your picture when you were five years old. You are so now so different from from the five-year-old boy or girl. Are you exactly the same person with him, with her? Or you are a different person? In the Buddhist uh, teaching, you are neither the same person with that little boy or little girl, but you are not a different person either. And that is what uh, they call... uh, no sameness, no otherness. Uh, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, we call it the path of uh, the middle path. The middle path. You and the little boy, you and uh, the little girl that you have been in the past, are not exactly one person, but both of you are not <clears throat> two persons either. And that is what we can see when you practice looking deeply, when you practice meditation. <clears throat> when we have a chance to take a shower, we might like to look we have a chance to look at our own body. And this is a chance for meditation also. Your body has been transmitted to you by your father, by your mother. You have received it from your mother, your, fa- your father. In the Buddhist teaching, when we speak of transmission, we think of three elements, the one who transmits, the object of transmission, and the one who receives the transmission. And meditation is a very joyful thing, 
that help you to see things deeply in a very different way. When you look deeply at the three elements, the transmitter, the object transmitted, and the receiver, you see the nature of interbeing between the three. You may ask this question, who is the transmitter of this body? And you get the answer, my father, my mother. They are the transmitter. And you ask the second question, what did they transmit? And then looking deeply, you see the truth. They have transmitted themselves. All the genes that we have in our body contain our father and our mother. They have transmitted nothing less than themselves. So, Transmitter and transmitted are not two different things. And that insight can be very can be very helpful. That kind of insight is the foundation of peace. And then you continue to ask another question who is the receiver? of the object that has been transmitted by the transmitters. And you say that you who receive the transmission, you are the same with the object transmitted because this body is at the same time the receiver of the transmission and the object of transmission. We call it in Vietnamese Tam Lung Không Tịch. The emptiness of uh, transmission. Because we think we might have thought that the three elements are separated. But when we practice looking deeply, we see that three of them are related in such a way that you cannot uh, divide. So when the father looks deeply at he, himself, he sees the son. And if he looks deeply, into the person of his son. He sees himself. And if father and son have that kind of insight, they will be at peace with each other. Happiness and suffering are not individual matters. If the husband suffers deeply, there is no way that the wife can be happy. If the son, if the son suffers deeply, there is no way that the father can be happy. And that means that uh, when you love someone, when you are in a relationship with someone, the wisdom of non-discrimination is, is at the foundation of your happiness. Equanimity, inclusiveness, non-discrimination is one very important element of true love. 
in Buddhism. When you love someone, the frontier between you and him or her is removed. His suffering becomes your suffering. His, her happiness becomes your happiness. The same thing is true with uh, father and son, mother and daughter. If uh, people of the same family practice looking deeply in order to, in order to, to touch uh, the wisdom of non-discrimination, and they will be able to live uh, peacefully and happily as a family. If uh, members of a community practice to see that nature of relationship, they will be able to live happily as a, as a, a community. And if people in one nation practice looking like that, they will see that the happiness of one person is made of the happiness of other people and the suffering of one person is also made of the suffering of other people. We have discussed about the North and the South, and we have found out that if the South suffers, the North will have to suffer also. If the poor nations suffer and found themselves at war, well, the, the developed nations will have to suffer also. So taking care of each other is very important for peace. If Hindu and Muslim practice looking deeply and touch the nature the wisdom of non-discrimination within them. They would know that uh, peace for the other group is peace for also for this group. Security for the other group is also security of this, this group. If Palestinians and Israelis practice looking deeply, they will realize that uh, making the other group suffer means making our own group suffer and vice versa. It's very simple, it's very clear. When you are angry, when you want to punish, you are motivated by discrimination, by anger, by fear. And when the other group of people suffer because of your punishment, you will have to suffer also. And this is uh, a kind of truth that every one of us can see. And that is why looking deeply is so important for the practice of peace. Let us enjoy our in-breath and our breath with the bell.
บรมาวิหาร That is uh, the word, the expression used in Buddhism for love, the four unlimited mind: Maitri, Karuna, Mudita, Upeksha. Translated into English as uh, loving kindness, compassion, joy. Equanimity, equanimity or non-discrimination. And as we practice uh, looking deeply, we get the understanding, and we develop our our love. And our heart begins to open, to grow, because you can cultivate uh, compa- uh, loving kindness. Until it becomes unlimited, your loving kindness will embrace not only one person, but everyone. Not only human beings, but also animals, vegetables, and minerals. And that in Buddhism we call love without uh, frontier, unlimited uh, mind. You can cultivate unlimited loving kindness. You can also cultivate uh, compassion, unlimited compassion. You want to remove the pain, the sorrow, the fear, the suffering of the other person, but you also want to remove this this suffering from many people around you. And as you continue to practice, you embrace everyone and every. Uh, Species within your loving kindness and your compassion. L'amour sans frontières, love without frontiers. That is uh, the expression used in Buddhism. And l'amour sans frontières, love without uh, boundaries, can only be. Possible with uh, that kind of insight, the insight of non-discrimination. Many of us believe that uh, happiness is possible when we have uh, a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of uh, fame, and many of us are running into that direction. We do not uh, know 
Many of us do not know that happiness is possible in the here and the now. And that is why uh, it is very important to practice in order to bring our mind back to the present moment, to recognize all the conditions of happiness that are already there. Buddhism is not exactly a religion. Buddha is not, uh, the Buddha is not exactly uh, an object uh, for worship. The Buddha is first of all a teacher. He is not a god, he is a human being and he has suffered a lot before he attained Buddhahood. It's very important for us to rediscover the truth that the Buddha was a human being. We feel closer to him and we'll be able to learn from him and do like him, cultivate, cultivate peace and freedom and happiness. If we break through to the, to, uh, to the barrier of uh, religion, we can touch the source of wisdom within Buddhism. The insight, the source of insight. And when we have that kind of insight, the insight of impermanence, the insight of no-self, the insight of non-discrimination, and then we can undo the suffering within us. We can overcome, transform our fear, our anger, our violence. Our despair and help many others around us to do the same. In the teaching of the Buddha, spiritual power can be attained by our daily practice. We speak uh, of three kinds of powers. The first kind of power is called the power to cut off. Đoàn Đức in Vietnamese. Đoàn means to cut off. We have uh, we have many things to cut off. Our craving, our despair, our anger, our violence. We have to learn how to cut off these things. And the best way to cut off these things is to have the time to sit down and to look deeply into the nature of our suffering, our craving, our violence, our fear, our anger, our despair. And when you are able to cut off all these things, you become free. And happiness begins to be possible. True happiness and great happiness become possible. Suppose someone is angry, 
very angry. How can that person be happy? So it's very important to remove anger from him or from her. Suppose someone is dominated by some kind of craving day and night, thinking only of the object of his or her craving. That person cannot be in peace, can not be happy. So cut off the craving is very important. And uh, as a monk, as a nun, as a lay practitioner, as a Buddhist practitioner, one of the things you do in your daily life is to look deeply in order to be able to cut off all these uh, roots of uh, unhappiness. And when you are free, you can help so many people. When you are free from craving, from anger, from discrimination, you can help so many people. And the Buddha is such a person. He is uh, utterly free from his uh, afflictions. That is why he helps so many people. In Vietnamese we call that power Đoàn Đức. Đức. And the second kind of power we cultivate in Buddhism is Trí Đức. Trí means insight, cultivating insight. By the practice of meditation, of looking deeply, you get insight into the nature of reality. You can touch the nature of impermanence, of no-self, of interbeing, of non-discrimination. And with that kind of insight, you can very easily solve many problems that you have in your heart, in your mind. And you can help so many people uh, undo their difficulties and their suffering thanks to the insight you get. That insight is called prasnya in Buddhism. The insight that can help you cross to the other shore, the shore of freedom, the shore of happiness, prasnya paramita. Paramita means crossing over to the other shore. And with that insight, you can be very happy and you can make the happiness of so many people. And the third kind of power that people like to cultivate in Buddhism is Angduk, means the power to love, to forgive, to accept. And when you are able to forgive, to to accept, to love, you are a happy person. And you make the other person, the other people happy also. So, cultivating that kind of power is not a dangerous thing to do. But running after the power of money, of uh, fame, is very dangerous. I have met, I have seen, we have seen, we have met with very rich people, very powerful people, but then most of them are not truly happy. They may have the mightiest army, 
They may have the mightiest uh, economy. They have uh, the greatest power, political power. But they suffer. They cannot get out of their suffering, of their despair, of their difficulties. And when we do not cultivate uh, insight and uh, love, we always abuse our power, whether that power is the power of uh, money or fame or situation. A father has the power of a father. But if the father doesn't practice, he will misuse his power and abuse his child and make his child suffer. A teacher has some power. And if that teacher does not practice love, understanding, that teacher will abuse his or her students. A policeman has some power. And if that policeman does not practice spirituality, understanding love, that policeman will misuse, abuse his power. You have the mightiest army. And if you don't practice insight and compassion, certainly you will abuse your power and make your nation suffer and make many other nations suffer also. So misusing power, abusing power is what is going on a lot in our, in our family, in our community, in our nation and in the world. Peace begins with ourselves. We should cultivate understanding and compassion directed to our body, to our mind. We will get freedom and peace and compassion. And then you will be in a situation to help members of our family, members of our community, members of our nation, and the world. When you go home to yourself, when you bring your mind back to your body, when you establish yourself truly in the here and the now, you may realize that the kingdom of God is right here and right now. You may realize that the pure land of the Buddha is right here and right now with all the wonders. What we are looking for is already there. 
our peace, our happiness. The kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha. If we are lucid enough, if we are insightful enough. The practice of mindful breathing, the practice of mindful walking help me to be established in the here and the now. And I, and I can be in touch with uh, all the wonders of life that are available within myself and around me. And to me, the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha, is available in the here and the now. If you have enough uh, concentration, insight, and compassion. When you practice mindful breathing or mindful walking, each breath or each step can bring you to the pure land of the Buddha or to the kingdom of God. And you cannot afford to walk in the kingdom of God all day with the techniques of walking meditation. Because walking meditation is uh, is uh, a wonderful practice that helps you to live deeply every moment of your daily life. Every step, with every step, you touch the wonders of life that are available. I don't need to die in order to be reborn into paradise or into the kingdom of the Buddha or into the pure land. My teachers told me that uh, the pure land is in your heart. And in the gospel, it is also said that uh, the kingdom, kingdom of God is in your heart. In the, king, in the gospel, we read the story of a farmer who discovered a treasure in a piece of land. He went home and sold everything and only bought that piece of uh, land that hid the treasure. The kingdom of God is something like that. It is a treasure. And if you are able to discover the kingdom of God, you don't have to look for happiness elsewhere. You don't have to run after money, after fame, after power. And the church should provide us with the kind of teaching and the practice that can help us discover the kingdom of God in the here and the now. To my fellow practitioners in Buddhism, I also advise the same thing. Give us the teaching and the practice that can help us touch the pure land with the Buddha 
Nirvana, the kingdom of the Buddha right here and right now. Because I myself practice that. Wherever I go, I bring the pure land. Like your mobile phone, I bring my pure land. Whether I'm at the airport, the railway station, or the river bank, I also walk in the pure land. Each step brings you back to the here and the now. You don't run anymore. You have run all your life. Now it's time to stop and arrive. The past is already gone. The future is not yet there. Life is available only in the present moment. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And you have an appointment with life. And that appointment is here and now. And if you miss the present moment, you miss life. You miss your appointment with life. The teaching is so clear, so simple. It is possible for us to live a simple life and very happy. And if uh, there are those of us who are capable of proving that, there are those of us who do, do not have a car, a personal car, who do not have a private um, telephone, who do not have a bank account, and yet, you can smile all day. You can enjoy walking on pure land all day. We try to learn and to live in that way in order to demonstrate that uh, happiness is possible without a lot of money, a lot of consumption. And uh, when we have the kingdom of God with us, when we have the pure land of us, it is possible for us to live happily, peacefully, without having to run into the direction of power, money, fame, sex. And we'll be in situation to help other people. And peace very much depends on this kind of practice. I would like to uh, leave the time uh, for a few uh, questions and uh, remarks. Thank you very much for uh, listening. There's a microphone, and if you want to uh, say something, uh, please raise your hand, and the microphone will go uh, to you. Thank you, Master. Uh, 
my question is very simple. If the, you wanted to bring love to one person, but uh, the love that you bring to this person is, um, I don't know how to say, but the other person is not happy about that. So I don't know how to practice at that moment, and it's very simple questions. Thank you, Master. Love is impossible without understanding. If that person refuses your love because you don't understand her, the, the answer is very simple. Dear Ty, uh, I think we all know in this room how difficult um, communication uh, can be uh, within families, uh, between husband and wife, between father and son, between, uh, between friends, between colleagues. Um, could you give us um, the teaching about beginning anew? Uh, how uh, how two people or an entire family can practice that? Um, if uh, there is uh, difficulties in our relationship, because uh, we have not practiced uh, understanding each other. In the beginning, our love might be very beautiful, and we thought that uh, without that love, we cannot survive. But we did not know how to nourish that love with understanding. And love can die. Love can turn into hate and despair. So it's very important to learn how to nourish love. Love needs uh, food in order to survive. You have to feed your love, otherwise it will die. Sometimes you have uh, Many times, you have uh, the, the goodwill to love and to make the other happy, the other person happy. But because you don't understand the other person, that is why the more you try uh, 
the unhappier that person will become. So it's very important to have the time to ask him or her this question, darling, do you think that I understand you enough? Do I understand your suffering, your difficulties, your deepest aspiration? Please help me. Because uh, if I don't understand your suffering, your difficulties, your aspiration, I would not be able to, to love you and to make you happy. This is a very important question for, for anyone who would like to love and to bring happiness to another person. And the father can ask the same question. My son, do you think that I understand your suffering, your difficulties? Please help me to understand you. Please tell me about yourself, your suffering, your difficulties, so that I will not um, impose my ideas and my will on you and to make you suffer. A father should, uh, should use that kind of language to his son, his daughter, and that is the language of love. And when both of us are eager to understand each other, our love will grow. And really, understanding is the foundation of love. And if uh, you have made mistake, you have caused a lot of suffering to the other person and to yourself, it's time to begin anew, to have a new start. Darling, I know that in the last many years you have suffered a lot. I have not been able to help you and I have made the situation worse. It's not my intention to make you suffer, darling. It's because I did not understand you. So please tell me, darling, all the difficulties, all the suffering that you have, so that I will not continue to say things, or to do things that, you, that make you suffer in the past. I really want you to, to be happy, darling. And if you don't help me, who will? Please. That kind of practice is called uh, loving speech. Very important in order to uh, to reestablish communication between husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter, and so on. And when the other person uh, accepts to speak, uh, you should uh, you should try to practice uh, deep compassionate listening. We practice uh, deep, compassionate listening in order to give him or her a chance to empty his or her heart. Maybe the suffering has been accumulated uh, during many years and no one so far has been able to listen to that person. Now you have to play the role of a bodhisattva 
in order to listen to that person and help him or her to suffer less. That is the practice of deep listening or compassionate listening. Even if the other person uh, uses a kind of language that is full of um, sourness, irony, condemnation, accusation, even if uh, his or her speech is full of wrong informations, wrong perceptions, we still sit quietly and listen with our heart. We have to nourish that compassion in our heart in order to continue to listen because we know that if we cut his words, we stop him or her, and if we correct him or her, that will transform the session of deep listening into a, 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 a kind of a dispute. So you remember that uh, listening like this, you only have one purpose, helping the other person to suffer less. And with that compassion protecting you, uh, you will not be irritated. And you can listen for one hour. And that will help that person to, to suffer much less. If you are the person who, who is uh, speaking, and then you shouldn't use uh, the practice called a loving speech. You have the right and the duty to tell him or her the truth, but not with a language of accusation, blaming, condemnation. Because if you use that kind of language that will water the seed of irritation and anger in that person, and he or she will not be able to listen to you anymore. So that is why it's very important to use uh, loving speech. You help him or her to understand. And to, uh, you provide him or her informations that can help him or her to correct their perceptions. And when the perceptions are correct, they will not be angry anymore they will be happy. And when you listen, and if you, reckon, you realize that uh, the other person has so much wrong percept, so much wrong perceptions, you tell yourself that, wait, I, I'll wait. Now it's time to listen only. A few days from now, I will have the time to offer him or her the kind of information that can help him or her to correct their perceptions. And if you keep in mind that, if you remember that, you'll be able to continue to listen. And in, our, in the retreat that we organize uh, a little bit everywhere in Europe, in North America, any other countries, like uh, Korea, Japan, China, we always propose the practice of deep listening and loving speech. And we have helped many, many couples 
to reconcile, to restore communication. And uh, peace and happiness become possible. Our political leaders, if they are trained in that discipline, deep listening and loving speech, they will be able to make peace with other nations without using weapons because the foundation of peace is understanding, right perception. If the other person, if the other group of people are angry, are fearful, are hateful, because they have a lot of wrong perceptions on themselves and on you, And you know that helping removing their, their wrong perceptions is the basic work for peace. You practice in order to remove your own wrong perception and you help the other party, the other nation, the other group of people to remove their wrong perceptions. And that is the basic practice for peace. Wrong perceptions cannot be removed by the guns, by the bombs. And that is why communication skill is very important. And in the teaching of the Buddha, compassionate listening is very crucial. When you realize that they suffer so, they have suffered so much, they they have full of fear, of anger, of hate, of based on their wrong perceptions. Suddenly, compassion is born in your heart, and you try your best to help them to dissipate their fear, their anger, their hate by helping them to remove their wrong perceptions. And as a human beings, you know that you are also, you may be also victims of your wrong perceptions. And therefore, we have uh, to be careful not to act on the foundation of our wrong perceptions that will bring war and conflict. So, uh, political leaders, business leaders, teachers, parents should be invited to join in the practice of peace, cultivating understanding and compassion. Có nhiều người đưa tay lên My reverend teacher, I ask this with humility and with my ignorance. There is nothing is permanent. Everything is changing. Indeed, this moment must die so that next moment could come in. Even the cells in my body are not permanent, they are constantly changing. Even the body which I call myself is changing, but the same. In the midst of this impermanence, life is constantly in search of something 
that is permanent. Is nirvana that permanence? Is it that nirvana achieving which Shakyamuni became Buddha, the enlightened? Is nirvana achievable even for us, even in this life, and how? Thank you, my reverend teacher. In the Buddhist teaching, um, we can find uh, the teaching on the middle way that provide us with uh, the, um, elements of uh, practice happen, helping us to touch uh, the nature of reality. self-nature, the nature of reality, and that is called Nirvana. Nirvana is a reality in itself that cannot be uh, described in uh, notions and words. <coughs> we have touched uh, already some uh, elements of Nirvana during our talk, our meditation together. When we look uh, superficially, we can see that things are born, they can die, they come some, from somewhere and they will go somewhere. Sometimes they are there and sometimes they are not there. But when we practice looking deeply, we touch another level of reality that is quite different. But we touch the same reality. Suppose we speak about a cloud and we think that the cloud uh, uh, has come from nothing. And when the cloud dies, it will become nothing again. Uh, to be born in our mind means from nothing you suddenly become something. And to die means from something, from someone, you suddenly become nothing, you become no one. And that is our notion of birth and death. And we look at the reality with that kind of notions, birth and death. But when we practice looking deeply, we see that the cloud has not come from nothing. Before it is a cloud, it has been something else. The water in the pond, in the river, in the ocean, the heat goes by the sun. So a cloud, a, a cloud is, on, is only a continuation, it's not birth. So the true nature of the cloud is uh, no birth, the, the nature of no birth. And a cloud can never die, can never be, become nothing. 
A cloud can become rain or snow or ice, but you cannot make a cloud become become nothing. So it's impossible for a cloud to die. It can be transformed into rain or, or snow, but impossible to, for a cloud to die. And and um, and that is why we can conclude that the true nature of the cloud is the nature of no death, no birth and no death. Before that, we saw the cloud is victim of birth and death. And we also are caught by our ideas of being and non-beings. We have thought that uh, before the cloud is born, was born, it was uh, non-being. And after the birth of the cloud, well, you see being. And after the death of the cloud, you see non-being again. And you may establish a birth certificate for the cloud, a death certificate for the cloud. But looking deeply, you see that there is no birth and no death. Therefore, your idea of being and non-being is not valid. When someone manifests, you call it, uh, you term it as being. And when something stops its manifestation in order to manifest otherwise, and you say that you term it as non-being. When you see something, you, you, you describe it as being, and when you don't see something, you describe it as non-being. That's very unfair. Suppose uh, in the air, there are, many, there are many signals of television and radio. But you do not hear anything, you cannot see anything. You cannot say that they are not there. So your idea of non-being is not correct. You need a post of television to translate these signals into sound and sight. And then you say, well, they exist. But before that, you say they don't exist. <clears throat> so before we were born, they thought that was non-being. And after we were born, they said that we begin to be. And after this body uh, is... Uh, Disintegrated, you say that uh, you don't. Ex- uh, they say that you are no longer there. Non-being and being and non-being again. When I when I strike a match, I invite the flame to manifest. You say that well, the flame exists, but before the manifestation of the flame. If you look deeply, you see already the flame 
in its conditions. The flame is hidden in the matchbox. And not only in the matchbox, but also outside the matchbox. In the air, there is oxygen. And without oxygen, a flame cannot manifest itself. And uh, the flame may be hidden in my fingers, because with my fingers I can strike and help the flame to manifest. So the manifestation of a flame depends on many conditions. And when conditions are sufficient, a flame manifests. And you like to describe uh, the flame as being only after manifestation. And you term it as non-existing before manifestation. That does not correspond to the truth. So when you look deeply, you see that the true nature of reality is no birth, no death, no being, no non-being. Being and non-being are just ideas that cannot be applied to reality. And uh, in, that, uh, in that insight, to be or not to be is not a question. <laughs> and when you, when you, when you ask the, the flame, where have you come from? And when you ask uh, the flame, where will you go to? And then if you listen deeply, the flame will tell you, dear people, I have not come from anywhere. I have not come from the north or the south, the east or the west. When conditions are sufficient, I just manifest. I will not go anywhere not to the south, not to the north. When conditions are no longer sufficient, I just stop manifestation in order to manifest again. So the true nature of reality is no coming, no going. And when you touch really with your experience, the the nature of no birth, no being, no non-being, no coming, no going, no sameness, no uh, uh, otherness, you touch nirvana. And when you touch nirvana, you transcend all kind of fear, all kind of discrimination. You are a happy person. Nirvana is not situated in time and space. We are in nirvana. Our true nature is nirvana. Thank you. Difficult question. <clears throat> Dear Tai, first I want to tell you how honored I have been to be part of this delegation in Vietnam. Um, I'm in deep reverence and appreciation for this gift. Um, my question has to do with anger, the seeds of anger. I was a middle school music teacher for many years. I love children. I love music. I wanted to share 
the gift of music with children and help them to enjoy singing and making music together. But when I actually got into the classroom, I couldn't control the children. Um, I was I had been taught uh, about behavior management and uh, discipline and uh, showing the the children, you know, who is in charge and somehow commanding respect. But I, I didn't command respect. I tried to control them, and I couldn't control them. They were very rude. They were very hostile, and I became very impatient with them, and I started screaming at them, and I would lose my temper almost every day. Most of these children were around 12, 13 years old, and then I requested to be put with younger children because I thought it would be easier. But then the younger children started to misbehave and get out of control, and eventually I, I just gave up. I quit my job. I had gone through many years of training to do this work. I had many years of experience. And the longer I stayed in one school, the worse it got. So now that I have been teaching adults, and mostly it's fine, but occasionally I even have groups of adults that I can't control, and I, I lose patience, and I, um, I'm hard on them, and I'm very hard on myself when I can't get them to do what I want. And uh, I, I don't want to just keep giving up on um, on teaching as a, as a profession. I've put so many years into it, and I've noticed that the happiest moments here in Vietnam for me have been the moments when I've been around children. So I, I guess there's still some seed of hope that I could overcome this habit energy and, and, um, and, and somehow accept myself and, and rekindle my sense of humor so that I could be present with children in the classroom and not just uh, become a monster when I'm teaching them. Thank you. <clears throat> when you have uh, pain in your arm, rheumatism and things like that, uh, you should not be angry at your arm. You should not say that your arm does not behave well. Uh, you just take good care of your arms in the wisdom of non-discrimination. You are that very arm. So if you look at uh, the children or the adults that you are trying to help in that kind of way, you will not be angry. You will, be con you will be able to continue to help them without uh, be being angry at them because they are you. The way we raise our children, the way we entertain our children, the environment that we have given to our children have made our children like that. And our children are us. They have to be patient with us, with ourselves. And uh, the insight about non-duality, the wisdom of non-discrimination will help you not to suffer and to be able to enjoy uh, your job of teaching. I am also a teacher and I have learned a lot about uh, 
how to help my students. Uh, understanding why people behave like that, you'll be able to forgive, to accept. And when you have been able to accept, you are peaceful, and you just begin from there. It's something that all of us can do. If you are angry, you cannot do much. If you accept things as they are and begin from there, you can do many things. That's my advice. Thank you. I got a question for you, uh, dear Thai. Uh, in the society now, uh, we are know that uh, in order to control the uh, feelings, uh, to think of the happiness, and you said that uh, we should look into ourselves to love ourselves and also others. Um, so I'm just wondering. Is there any contradiction of uh, having a strong motivation, inspiration to get a better life, to have a better career in the future? Because you said that we should look into ourselves in order to have the happiness right here, right now. So, and uh, also. If people in the remote area of Vietnam who is living in the, you know, the sub living standard, also the uh, same like people in Africa. So, how? Uh, what is your advice uh, to ensure them that uh, they should live in peace when they can have comparison between the living standards in the cities? Thank you very much for your explanation. Thank you. When you cultivate uh, compassion, compassion will be the source of your happiness. With compassion, you can relate to other people, other living beings. Without compassion, you are utterly lonely. So cultivating happiness is to be happy. And when you have uh, compassion, loving kindness, that compassion, that loving kindness always urges you to do something and not to manifest, to be manifested. When you love, then you are compassionate. You are eager to do something for the people who suffer. What I would like to say is that uh, you can only serve people when you are peaceful enough and happy enough. Of course, uh, poverty, uh, discrimination is there. 
And compassion urges us to do something in order to remove poverty and uh, discrimination. And if we can live happily and peacefully with ourselves and with uh, a group of friends who are like us, who feel like us, and who would like to do things like us, well, we have more chance to help uh, people uh, uh, to uh, to uh, to go out of their difficult situation. But we have to re- always remember that happiness uh, is. Uh, would be impossible without peace. We have the Vietnamese expression ang and lạc, an lạc. If we are not peaceful inside, in our body, in our mind, even if we have a lot of money, if we have a job with a big salary, we still suffer. So uh, a spiritual dimension should go together with the economic dimension of our life. Our political leaders, our our business leaders should bring into their life, daily life, a spiritual dimension so that uh, they can be truly peaceful and happy before they could uh, help other people to, uh, to, to be peaceful and happy and not uh, victims of uh, poverty and discrimination. In order to be peaceful and happy, we got to be capable to live uh, happily in the here and the now. And we operate on that ground. Without happiness and peace in the here and the now, we cannot do much for other people. We cannot even plan for the future. The teaching and the practice is to always go back to the here and the now and to be peaceful and happy in the now. That does not mean that you cannot learn from the past or you cannot make projects for the future. The teaching advises you not to get lost in the regret and suffering when you think of the past. But if you are well established in the here and the now, you can bring the past back to the present moment in order to study and you can learn a lot from the past and you will not make the same kind of uh, mistakes that you made in the past uh, or your, uh, the people before you have made in the past and if you are well established in the here and the now you can make good projects for the future the teaching advise you not to lose yourself in the fear in the uncertainty concerning the future, but does not prevent you from making projects on the future. When you, when, you, when you look deeply, you see the future is made, will be made of a substance called present. What can the future be made of except the present? So taking good care of the present moment 
and dealing with the present moment the best way you can is already everything you can do for a good future because the future is made only of the present. So to manage the present moment with your intelligence, with all your uh, compassion and understanding is at the same time to build a good future for you and for your people. But if you don't have a heart of compassion, uh, you cannot help people. In Buddhism, we speak of bodhicitta, the mind of love, the mind of awakening, the mind of understanding. That is a kind of energy that helps you to confront the difficulties you encounter on your way. And if you can continue to serve people, to combat poverty, injustice, discrimination, because you still have that, uh, that ball of uh, fire, of compassion in you. So in our daily life, uh, you should be able to maintain that energy of compassion, of, uh, of willingness to help a life that make us happy and that make us uh, capable of uh, overcoming uh, obstacles to help other people. The Mahayana tradition is uh, to work for the well-being, well-being of the people. The Bodhisattva ideal is uh, the willingness uh, to serve, to help other people. But before you can help other people, you have to be yourself. And the quality of your being is the foundation of your act. Another question, please. Dear Master, uh, first I want to say that I, I have a great happiness to be here at the moment, to be listening to you. And th- I want to thank you for that. Um, my question is about the fourth element of the wisdom of love in the Buddha teaching. Uh, your explanation is about the non-discrimination but in the original meaning in Vietnamese, uh, I think it may be the forgiveness. So uh, can you tell me the relationship or the correlation between the non-discrimination and the forgiveness? Uh, which one is uh, the deeper understanding of Buddha teaching? On Which one is a deeper practice the Buddha teaching. Thank you. Uh, the Vietnamese uh, 
words is a từ bi hí and xá xá is a translation of uh, upeksha and upeksha should be translated as equanimity equanimity non-discrimination inclusiveness and forgiveness is just one part of it uh, so the interpretation in in Vietnamese uh, that you uh, offer is not uh, um, representing uh, the true meaning of uh, upeksha upeksha in Sanskrit and upeksha in Pali it means equanimity so uh, the meaning is much deeper much much deeper than uh, forgiveness Dear friends, uh, tomorrow is the last day of our visit, and uh, after tomorrow we will fly to uh, Hong Kong to offer retreats, uh, days of mindfulness, and um, Dharma talks. And after that, we will go to Thailand for another 10 days before we go back to Europe. And during our uh, visit uh, in Vietnam that lasted uh, almost uh, three months, we have been able to organize uh, three uh, ceremonies to pray for the dead people in Vietnam during the war from six to seven millions of people have died during the war. And we also uh, prayed for both people who died uh, on the sea and who were victims of sea pirates. And we have organized uh, three ceremonies like that, one in the south, one in the center, uh, and one in the north of the country. And so many people came and participated in the ceremonies. We practiced uh, sitting, walking, meditation, um, reciting the sutra, um, releasing um, birds and fish and uh, doing charity work and uh, with all that kind of practice we uh, transfer the merit to the dead uh, people so that they may be transformed and be, and be free and hundreds of thousands of names have been sent to us through uh, uh, email and our computers were overloaded with names. And not only Buddhists came to the ceremonies, but also Catholics, Protestants, Confucians, uh, Marxists, Communists, everyone. 
and we have had the chance to cry together, meditate together, pray together, offer together. Um, and our tears uh, have helped us uh, to heal. the wounds in our heart, the wounds of the nation. We pray not only for the people of the South, we also pray for the people of the North. We pray for the anti-communist, we pray for the communist, we pray for everyone. We pray for the Buddhist, we pray for the Christians, we pray for everything, everyone. And uh, something very strange happened after each ceremony. It many uh, it rains a lot, and uh, many of us feel uh, very light in our heart. And we know that our uh, dead people they feel also very light. The injustice, the suffering are. Uh, have been actually recognized for the first time. Tens of thousands of people have come to these ceremonies in the south, in the center, and in the north. And we would like to share with you a text of prayer that we use during these chanting praying ceremonies translated into English. Uh, Sister Chau Nghiêm will read it for you. Uh, as our uh, part of our sharing um, tonight. Sister Tung Nghiêm. Sister Pai. Dear ones who have passed from this life, you are our fathers and mothers, our aunts and uncles, our husbands and wives, our sisters and brothers, our sons and daughters who have died during the war. When our country was on fire with all the fighting, you left us tragically, suddenly, forced to abandon your precious body. We have lost you, dear ones. We know that you fought courageously for our nation without regret for your precious body, and we are proud of you. But you lost your body in a very tragic situation, and the injustice could never be expressed. 
You died deep in a distant jungle or were lost at sea or in a dark prison cell. You may have died because of bullets or bombs or from starvation or sheer exhaustion. You may have been raped and then killed with no way to resist. How many of you have died in despair, in injustice, the remains of your body lost somewhere in the ocean or the jungle where we who love you could not get hold of them? To fight for our independence and freedom, our country has had to bear great tragedy and injustice, and it is you who have shouldered the burden of the whole nation in your death. We, your relatives, your fellow countrymen and countrywomen, we come here. Some of us are before our own altars at home. And among us, there are those who still continue to suffer from injustice. Fortunately, the nightmare has ended. The country is now at peace. And we are having the chance to rebuild the country to heal the remaining wounds. Thanks to the merits and good deeds of our ancestors, we have a chance to come together and offer prayers together to the three gens. With the support of the powerful Dharma, we request you to come back all together to reunite with each other, embracing each other, loving each other like sisters and brothers in one family. We will not distinguish between north or south, women or men, adults or children, by race, religion, party or ideology. We are all fellow countrywomen and countrymen, but because of the past ill fortune, we have been pushed to fight each other in our drive for independence, for freedom. Thanks to the merits of our ancestors, we can now come back to each other, recognizing each other as siblings of a single family, to promise each other that we will not forget this painful lesson of the past now engraved on our hearts. We vow that from now on, we will not let the country be separated again, not even one more time. From now on, when there are internal difficulties, we will not request the help of any foreign power to intervene with weapons and troops in our country. From now on, we will not start a war for any ideology. From now on, we will not use foreign weapons to kill each other. From now on, we will use our best efforts to build a society with real democracy to be able to resolve all kinds of disagreements by peaceful, democratic methods, and we will not resort to violence against fellow countrymen and countrywomen. Respected blood ancestors, respected spiritual ancestors, please bear witness to our profound sincerity. We respectfully make these deep vows before you, and we know that once we have sincerely expressed ourselves in this way, all the knots of injustice can be untied, and the deep wounds in each of us will start to be healed. Today, this great chanting ceremony to untie all, unju- all injustices equally, without any discrimination, starts here. 
But at the same time, countless Vietnamese and friends of Vietnamese throughout the world are setting altars in front of their houses too to pray for you all. We touch the earth deeply to request the grace of the three jewels to carry to the other shore of liberation all of you, dear deceased ones, so that, dear ones, you can be carried by the strength of the Dharma to be able to understand, to transform, to transcend, and to know you are free. We, your descendants, we promise to continue your aspiration. We vow to carry you in our hearts, to build brotherhood and sisterhood and mutual love of fellow countrymen and countrywomen. We will remember that pumpkin vines and squash vines can share a single frame, that chickens from a same mother will never fight each other. This insight from our ancestors will shine out its light for us now and forever.